Hello, I'm Marcus Morquet, and you're listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews, a series of recordings from my 2018 adventure traveling across the USA researching makerspaces and digital technology in schools. Uh, it came to be 20 years ago in New York, and it was based on a project I did at the Perkins School for the Blind in Boston 19 years be- before that. And that happened after my aunt had a spinal cord injury and babies that I was working with needed adaptations. And a simple discovery that if you have an idea and someone has a need, there's always someone else that has tools. And so those three things together are the basis of adaptive design. And so 20 years ago, I met a group of people that said, what you're doing in Boston is needed in New York. Maybe we can give people paid internships and we can get volunteers and we can bring ideas to life. This is a two-story building here and you've got like it's a hands-on workshop space uh, out there and you've got a lot of people working here. Are they all volunteers working here? We are a staff of 12 but today I think we have five interns Mm. in the place. Um, No volunteers at the moment so often we will have two or three volunteers as well as four or five interns and then our our paid staff. And what sort of stuff are they working on here? I know there's a young lady out here working on a chair. What's she doing out there? Well, she's been to a school, and she is probably going to adapt a classroom chair. I don't know that particular, but it looks as though from what's around her that there's a child who needs to sit on the floor um, with classmates at circle time, and she doesn't really have the strength to sit up without toppling. So she's going to build something around her, and maybe we'll add an adaptive tray. These two students um, are actually uh, interning from high schools. They're adapting a, a little motor car for a school around the corner, a little preschool, and there are motor cars now. We didn't exist when I was little. I would love that. But they're changing the accelerator and the seat of this little car so that kids can, in fact, sit in small motor cars and get them to go. And the beauty of what I'm seeing here is that it's cardboard. It is just simply, it's just cardboard pretty much. And cardboard is the the main material material you're using to actually uh, produce these adaptive designs. So um, why cardboard? Well, because it's magnificent. Um, I think it's the least appreciated of all building materials, but we use a a special industrial strength. Um, We are able to buy three-wall corrugated, and you can cut it easily from a steak knife to a bandsaw, jigsaws, handsaws. You can glue it with white glue. You can, uh, we use wooden nails to hold it together, and it can be edged and primed and painted and last for years. In fact, I'll show you a sofa we have here that has was made uh, about 12 years ago. And so it's really easy for even beginners, and even the master carpenters are still amazed at how much they continue to learn. It's never boring. This whole place is full of cardboard, and just behind you got your uh, your got your books bookshelf and the drawers. <laughs> They're all just cardboard everywhere. But um, I guess the most important thing is the stories you've actually shared with us already today about how students' lives have been transformed by the opportunity to actually 
be connected with the work that you and your organisation are involved with. Are there any particular stories you'd like to sort of showcase for us today that are sort of moments that you think, my goodness, that is so great? Yeah, I think that when I was when I was reminded of the importance of the little kids that can transfer themselves out of their wheelchairs down to the floor, sit with other kids, mm-hmm. that there's often an expression, a wheelchair kid, and how really devastating that is. And that's a child who may need a wheelchair for mobility, but they don't have to be stuck in it all day or defined by it. So everything we do here is driven or inspired by somebody having a good idea. And that was a physical therapist who had a good idea that Carlos could get out of his chair, down to the floor, and if it was lightweight, made out of cardboard, his classmates could drag it around from different spots and he could learn to do that. And that story has inspired many other teachers and OTs to make similar things, Mm. transfer steps. One thing that's really obvious, because it's cardboard and because of the tools you're using, it's really easy for students in a primary setting to actually start developing the skills and understanding about how to design and manipulate cardboard. And I guess as the students go forward, what they can develop could become quite amazing. We've seen the the Scarsdale High School students and the things they're working on. So what's your thought on that? Is it something that anyone from any age can actually develop? I think it is, and we've had very young kids here. We've yeah, had what age groups? Three, four, five-year-olds Whoa. that come. Fifth graders are common. Yeah. And because they've noticed, yeah. and they care, and yeah. have excellent ideas, sometimes better than adults who yeah. worry first, and kids have terrific imaginations. And we have all the way through, so high school students, middle and high school, and then university, and all the way through to retired people. Our longest serving volunteer is 97, and he started when he was 67. Wow, God. Um, and he still comes two days a week, yeah. and that's at the workshop in Boston. Mm. Uh, so it, anyone, and people can start at beginner stage, even you did, a little cutting and a little bending, <laughs> um, all the way to pretty sophisticated engineering. Mm. And because we include wood, and plastics and fabrics it's not limited at all to cardboard yeah to be the material that makes the most sense Mm. Uh, but it is a welcoming engaging integrated technology Mm. and i don't think there's anyone who shouldn't be doing adaptive design now you mentioned uh, a bit of an exciting news how google became involved with your uh, work here and uh, they've recently released an app yeah. Do you want to talk about that whole process? Because that's sure. a really exciting experience, isn't we, it? We were lucky enough to meet a creative group of people at Google who got enormously excited about the possibility of Morse code being something that everybody who uses an Android device and eventually an iOS device would be able to use Morse code. For some, it's even faster than using the, key, the typical keyboard with all the alphabet. So they met a woman in... Seattle that we know and she has used Morse code since she was 12 and so they made a a incredible film about her and her life and how she went from not being able to speak to using Morse code to getting an education getting married having a son and skydiving and she and her husband want to promote keyboard emulator, which is what Google was able to invest in that concept so that it could be something that grows across the globe and now people can open source and add to that and 
do experiments and get people excited. So, yeah, it was a really terrific... Jeepers, that's unbelievable. That's, that's a great story. I love that story. And thank you for showing that film as well, too. It's yeah, really inspiring look, stuff. It, yeah. Even if I've seen it several times, yeah, I think no, it's, it's pretty hairs on the back of your head when you see that sort of stuff. And um, she wants people to know that she's not unusual. She was lucky to be able to learn Morse code at the University of Washington when she was young, mm. and that um, she's always met people that are engaged by the technology, but more blown away about what happens if you don't have it hmm. if somebody doesn't think that you're capable are you yeah, you know where does yeah. that doubt happen so yeah it was a terrific and it should multiply she'd like a lot of people to see that <laughs> multiply it out now alex uh this organization has been here for a while now but just can you put yourself forward say five years maybe even 10 years and give us a picture as to what this organization looks like and then like perhaps paint a picture for how the world might be as well too in terms of adaptive design I love that question. Um, in I would, my wager would be, mm-hmm. if we had ten million dollars, if ten million would fall in our bank account today, that we would not need to exist in this form in five years. That it would become such a common best practice worldwide that people would be adapting as normal, not exceptional. And people would be assuming that kids are capable, and not only capable, but excellent, and that the only label would be gifted. Now go prove it. And if you need adaptations, build them. And so that we want everything we do here to get contagious and be viral, and that it would be wonderful things happening in Australia, wonderful things happening in Zimbabwe, Mm. wonderful thing happening in Albuquerque, and everybody sharing. Mm. So hopefully in five years it will be that every school everywhere, every veterans organization, every adult, every aging group, everybody would practice. That adaptive design with a little a, a little d would be absolutely common and, and unquestioned and well, well supported by foundations, governments, donors, friends and families. So that's my hope, is it really is just a way back to my uncle and my aunt and that there's a need, there's an idea, and there's some tools nearby, and that the answer should be yes. Let's get started. Alex, I love your vision, I love your passion, and uh, I love the picture. You paint a perfect picture for us, I would say. Thank you very much for joining thank us today, and so thank you very much, much for having us for a guest visiting. here. Oh, of course, yeah, fantastic. Hope to see you in Australia. Good. Excellent. I'm on my way. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Churchill Fellowship Interviews. You can find the complete series at radiocarum.org.